Welcome, everybody. I know by now you understand that we are doing this live streaming for the weekend due to some health issues with COVID. I want to thank you for joining us. Very excited. We're in the middle of a series on Philippians, probably one of the greatest New Testament books uh, that Paul has written. So much there for us as believers to take away. And so I really wanted to talk about joy. Philippians has a theme of joy running through. Who doesn't want to hear about joy? So uh, I just felt deep in my heart that we had to go a different direction. So today I'm going to take you down a path that's going to really challenge you. It is a message I believe that God has given us his church today. I'm going to push a little. I'm going to pull a little. You may be a little irritated, so I hope you hang with us all the way through and understand what we're trying to do here according to God's word. Now, I could tell you a great story of how this week I got into a big uh, argument uh, with somebody over COVID uh, at the store. It was a terrible scene. I wasn't wearing a mask. And some uh, old lady just asked me, you know, why wasn't I wearing a mask? And I got defensive and I responded to her and probably didn't say the nice things. And she actually swung her purse at me and hit me. Well, by then, yeah, I'd had it. I'd had it with all the COVID stuff. I've had it with irritated people. So I took my cart and I rammed her. All right. Well, then she swung her purse at me again. Uh, I grabbed her groceries and I ran and I left the store. Who knows what happened? Later, Lone Tree shows up at my door. Okay, none of this is true at all. Just wanted you to know that that is not true. But there's a tension today in our lives about what is going on in our world. And I believe today God's word speaks to us in what to do with that and how we as sincere followers of Jesus can respond to that. This world is extreme in division. It carries over even into the church. What is the answer? Everybody knows from Sunday school, the answer is always Jesus. But today, that's actually very true, and I want to explain how that is. We're going to begin with Philippians chapter 1. There's a couple verses there that Paul brings to us that sets this up for the day. He writes, I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand, it's very important, what really matters, so that you may be living a life that is pure and blameless until the day Christ returns. The problem today is, I think, within our world, but especially our church, is we really don't know what matters. So today I want to point that direction. What matters in the kingdom of God? Now, another translation of that verse I just read is a Holman's translation, a, a recent translation. I love how he says, and there's a couple points I want to pull out of that. Let me read that verse again in this new translation. I pray this, that your love will keep growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. If there's ever a day where we really truly need a spiritual, supernatural work of discernment. It is in today's world. It is so confusing, so much false truth that's out there. We need the discernment of God. But what is the purpose of that discernment, all right? It is that we could live a superior life. As a pastor, as a believer in Jesus, many of the uh, people that I encounter, even as believers, are struggling with a far less superior life that they can. And there's issues that relate to that that we will talk about today. At the end of the chapter, chapter one, let me set up what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Paul writes this, stand firm, don't be frightened by opponents, all right? They're dealing with outside influences and sources that are impacting the church. And he said, as a result of that, there could be some suffering, there could be some struggles. And here's the point I want to make. There will always be opposition to the church that Jesus established on this earth. 
If you are here and watching this, you will know that as a believer today, you will find struggle, you will find some suffering, you will find some opposition. So he sets up this next chapter where we'll focus today with the idea that here's what this world is doing, but then he focuses in on what we as a believers need to be aware of. All right, and that is this. After he talks about all the outward battles, it leads to this next part of his letter that he wrote to the Philippian church. And it talks about the inward battles of the church, the things that happen inside the church. These are very important things to Jesus. And so he addresses this, all right? He says this. He talks about this, that in the church, you have a lot of joy. The Philippians is about joy. You have a lot of joy. He commends them for that, but he wants them to have even more joy. But there was a lot of conflict in the Philippian church over specific doctrines, speakers, traditions, all of those kinds of things that can even creep in the church today. Various teachers were at each other with the beliefs that they brought into the church, dividing the church. It was dividing this church and creating such a negative perception among the unbelievers in the Philippian community. That grieved the Apostle Paul as he sat in a prison writing to this church in Philippians. Now, let's be honest, that would never happen in a modern church, would it? We would never see division. We would never see conflicts in the modern church, okay? Of course, it happens all the time. We are divided so much in many of our beliefs and traditions, even in the church today. I was trying to think of some examples. It's pretty easy to find many. I know there's great debate in the church today about the end times and all the processes of what that looks like. There's debate about if you're saved, are you always saved? There's debate about such simple things of preference like music, like this kind of music is really uh, uh, important music in the church. This is not. Uh, we talk about this idea of, is this a church that is going for people seeking for God, or is this a church for people who believe in God and we're going to grow them up? All right. Uh, we have in our community today, in the church community, this whole philosophy of, of there's no hell, uh, and there's a lot of, of conflict over that. All right. Uh, I've seen in recent days this idea of giving. All right. People uh, want to teach that you don't have to give. Uh, and, and some others are really demanding giving in such a way. So there's far extremes on this. And the last, obviously, folks, we know we're dealing with a COVID issue. I know that when COVID hit, I know Pastor John made a wise decision following all the laws of our community. We did not meet and we went to what you're seeing here today is an online presence. When we began to meet, feeling that in John's heart that we should be a gathered community, there were so many that were on one side praising that and so many on the other side condemning that. That is the conflicts that we have been facing in our church today. All right, so Philippians then begins with this idea in chapter two, uh, verse one. Paul says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy, all right, he sets that up with this, all right? Years ago, Pastor John preached a message. And by the way, if you have not heard our Philippians messages, go back to the previous two amazing messages by Pastor Jake and our lead pastor, Pastor John. But he one time pointed out in scripture that when there is a therefore, he asked this question, what's it there for? 
And so I want to point to that here as we look into that. He says, therefore, all right, so what it is therefore is this. This is what he's trying to communicate. If there's any consolation, it is in Christ. Our consolation, our strength, our comfort, all right, from the idea of being consoled is in the message of Jesus Christ. He said, if there's any comfort of love, today we lack love. And there is such a beauty in the comfort of love in a relationship. We have any fellowship of the Spirit. And what I really believe today is that we operate so much out of our own intellect, out of our own opinions, and we don't really hear and hear from God in these matters. The word fellowship there in the Greek is koinonia. It is a shared value. You could have koinonia with another owner of a boat. You could go in together. There is an investment in that. There is an interaction in that. There is a shared experience in that boat. And the same is true. We have that with the Holy Spirit. That is what Paul was trying to lead us to. If therefore, if any attention or affection and mercy, he's, com he's comparing that to a loving lifestyle. So what Paul is asking is this. Very simply in that passage, he's just saying this. Are you the kind of believers, are you the kind of church that actually has an experience with God? If so, then he says, make my joy complete. Take my joy to a new level by being united and of the same love, one accord and one mind. Let's read that. Philippians chapter two, verses two through four. He says this, fulfill my love by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. It's very clear that this is an important thing to Paul. He said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. So today I want to give you four truths that I think we can take away from that passage. All right. So let's begin with this. What, as the church of Jesus, should we unite or agree on? All right. Uh, in the writing here, in Paul, he finishes that section that we just read with something very important, pointing all to Jesus. So Jesus truly is the answer. And he says this. He talks about that humility and how Jesus was the example and that he left the splendor and the glory of heaven and he came and gave himself as a man and lived our life, all right? Suffered, all right? Endured a cross, resurrected, and now is at the right hand of the Father. <coughs> and so he writes this uh, a little later. Okay, what should we unite or agree on? Let me give you something today to think about. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. He bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. A lot of theology there we're not gonna get into. <coughs> and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Very clear that as Paul's writing this, he understands what unites us isn't the conflicts over issues and doctrine and theology and opinions, but that what unites us is that Jesus is this. He is exalted as name above all names, 
And every knee, every one of us will bow before him as a Lord of all of our lives, no matter what life that we've lived. And we will either confess Jesus as Lord now or at that time in the future, we will understand and see he is truly the Lord to the glory of the Father. That is what unites us. And let me explain how that works, okay? Uh, I think today it's easy for me, I don't know about you, to look at my life from a spiritual standpoint, from a religious standpoint. And I'm gonna use a term here, okay? I'm gonna give you two ideas of where to put the word and, okay? We can live our life with Jesus and whatever that life is, whatever that issue is, all right? So it could be, I wanna live my life where Jesus is preeminent and first. So Jesus and this issue. Jesus and that conflict. Jesus and that struggle where Jesus was always in front. But today, I think in our church, I've experienced this. It's the separate. I've put and Jesus. I've put my ideas, my opinions, my desires, and Jesus. Jesus comes in second to that whole idea of how I live my life. All right? So what happens in the church is that we begin to get also wrapped up in issues, and then we add Jesus in there. And it's not supposed to be that way. You need to come to this place where you look at your life through the filter of is Jesus most important to me, all right? Is he the Lord? Is he exalted? Is he who I bow my knee before, all right? And so that sets up the idea of Jesus and everything else in life. I hope that's simple enough for you to see that today, that you just filter your life through this idea of Jesus and, because those things will change, all right? There's an old hymn that talks about, you know, in the face of Jesus, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. I love that hymn growing up. I think it's as important today as ever. The idea of these things of this earth really, really won't matter. Someday we will stand before God. We will bow before him. We will proclaim as his Lord. And the things of this earth, I assure you, all the debates we're having now, no matter what area it is, will pale and not even matter on that day. But we are making it that and Jesus. We can't live that way. We need the unity. We need to agree on Jesus being the most important thing in our life and in our church, okay? So what do you do? with those issues that you don't agree with, okay? Uh, let's be honest, that happens, all right? I heard a statement, and then I've added to it, all right? Here it is. Nothing divides like politics because nothing divides like fear. Now, I don't know where you're at politically. doesn't matter to me today. I have my own thoughts and opinions, but as you're well aware, Politics really work on the idea of fear. If this party wins, these terrible things are gonna happen. If this party wins, these terrible things are happening. And that's what drives this idea. Fear is such an important part of and Jesus in our life, okay? Nothing divides, I've added to it this way, nothing divides like culture because nothing divides like fear. I know we're facing a lot of cultural issues today. All right, and there are parts of us that are afraid. All right, there are parts of things that we deal with that we're concerned about. But what is the root of that? Is our God big enough and great enough and grand enough by his love, by his grace and his power to overcome anything in our culture? All right, and then another thought, nothing divides like, here it is, it's coming, you knew, our health issues, the things that we're facing today because nothing divides like fear. Such an issue. There's not a day goes by that I don't talk to somebody, many people as a matter of fact, who are afraid, 
who are very strong in their opinion about these aspects and even other aspects. All right, all of these in the church that should be Jesus and culture, Jesus and health, Jesus and politics, we've flipped it. It's politics and then Jesus. We put our spin on it. It's politics and health. It's, it's Jesus and, or politics and Jesus, uh, uh, culture and Jesus, all of those things in that way, okay? It is a divide. <coughs> I was thinking about this. Thought, man, how could I explain this? Because I, I, I am certainly not a theologian. I'm just a regular guy, and I, I appreciate the honor and the privilege of coming to you this weekend. But I, I break it down pretty simple. I just think that way. So I kind of want to put together a visual for you with just my hands, all right? And that is this, okay? Here you have the great divide, okay? No matter what the issue is, on each end of that divide, you have a, a, a radical fringe, Let's call them that, all right? No matter whether it's politics or health or culture, you have on each side of that, the far sides, radical, fervent, uh, anarchic kinds of fringe that just has to uh, uh, upend society and culture for their point or their opinion, okay? Closer in, you have those with a deeply held belief, all right? They're not radical. They're not gonna burn buildings down. They're gonna do things like that. But deeply into their heart, they have that feeling of what is important, all right? And in the vast middle is probably the most of us, okay? We're somewhere maybe leaning one way or another, all right, in that. We're not crazy radical, but it's not necessarily a deeply held belief. We'll talk about it. We'll share our opinions over dinner with friends, all those kinds of things. But the vast majority of us are in the middle, all right, so let's just take then these issues we're talking about. On one hand, and again, I'm not here supporting or putting down any, but on one hand, you've got extreme political upheaval with fringe elements, all right? In our culture, there are now riots that take place in this area that are driving that, okay? And then you have a group of people in politics that are very strong in this conservative and very strong in this liberal, and they all have their feelings. Hey, let me just tell you what's interesting, all right? is I don't care what side of that is, and you may not like me saying this, I may get in trouble, but each of these groups that have deeply held beliefs, all right, put Jesus in their camp, all right? Whether you're conservative or liberal, it doesn't matter. If you're liberal, you believe in the, the, the heart of Jesus for the, the, those that are hurting. And then the other hand, you have Jesus believing in certain aspects of conservatism, all right? And so uh, that's where politics lies into that. And again, many of us are in the middle, all right? But we get so ramped up that in the church, all right, when if I have a deeply held belief or you have a deeply held belief, we are divided. This grieves God. This hurts God. I remember uh, when I was a pastor in uh, Northern Virginia at a church there. Uh, interesting enough, Loudoun County is where the church was. They've been in the news lately with teachers that have been quitting and protesting some of the uh, cultural uh, uh, and political aspects that have been required of them. And so this was the county that I had grown up in. And in that county, we're about 30 miles at most from uh, Washington, D.C. Most of the church there were people that worked for the government from CIA, FBI, intelligence, all sorts of varieties of government workers, all right? And so it's not uncommon in that church to have people that have a conservative and a liberal point of view. I happened to serve on a ministry team of a creative arts group with a couple that was very liberal in their thinking. Now, I will tell you, coming into that, I couldn't understand how in the world can they 
how in the world can they be Christian and believe these things, all right? And then they thought the same thing about me. Terry, how can you, how can you even know and talk about Jesus when these things, look, these are issues that have gone on for a long time. We have a great country. We have a lot of flaws. But in impressing in a Christian circle our points and our opinions, it's and political and Jesus. And we've got to look at what that does to the church. Well, the good news is we became very close working together. They became good friends. I began to understand. I began to ask questions about why they believed what they believed. They asked the same thing. And what it is is that we came to this place where they still held to their beliefs. I still had held to my beliefs. But we had a love and a respect for each other that should be in the church now I know, I know that I know, many of you I'm talking to, you've come and you've got political things that are very important to you. I am not saying that you should not have that opinion. I'm saying it should be Jesus and that. And that's the clarity of what Paul was trying to deal with here. All right, you can look at culture, culture today. Uh, in our church, I mean, even in that, there's fringes on each side that are pushing agenda in the church. So many far from the Bible, all right, whether either side, far from Jesus' teaching, all right? And then there's the vast majority in the middle where we're not sure what to do. We're confused and we're not aware of how to deal with culture, all right? You got gender things, all right? Um, you got the whole vaccination thing, okay? Uh, many of our staff had contracted vaccination or uh, had contracted uh, the virus. Some were vaccinated, some weren't, okay? But it's such an issue. I, I, I've had these discussions with people that I love that are very fiercely committed to their belief. I'm saying out of love, we've got to have Jesus and vaccinations and not the other way around. We've got to be able to understand they feel strongly this way. Do I love them? Do I respect them? They are my brother. They are my sister. I don't have to agree to love them and respect them. All right. And I know the idea is, well, um, like with culture. Okay. Well, this side of the fringe is a sin and, and, and my side is not. My side believes in God, believes in the Bible. I just want to take you back to the Bible, okay? Think about interactions that Jesus had with sinners. Think about how he treated them with love and respect. Think about the woman that was caught in adultery. The woman at the well that Jesus identified discernment of the sin in her life, but then said, go and sin no more. She went back and was a testimony of Jesus' love and grace. Think about Zacchaeus. All right, he was a swindler. He's a tax collector. He had cheated many people. What did Jesus do? He invited himself to his house for dinner. All right, it changed his life. He repaid everybody. The way that Jesus works in a divided culture is first of all, believing and knowing that Jesus, all right, the work of Jesus, the exaltation of his name and the every knee shall bow issue is very important. And so he sees these as people first and not their agendas or opinions first. That's a tough thing to do. I'm gonna admit that today, all right? So these are all the things that we face. It's even in the church, all right? Uh, I had an experience um, a few years ago. Some of you knew my first wife, Brenda. I've got an amazing, wonderful wife that the Lord has put in my life, Nancy, and enjoying our relationship together. And so for 44 years, Brenda and I were married and uh, had grown that marriage into a very uh, complete oneness kind of a marriage. And so toward the end, uh, as we discovered cancer, um, what happened in the church was uh, something that was kind of troubling. And that is this. On one end of the radical, you had a belief system that if you follow this recipe, if you follow this formula, everybody will be healed. 
On the other end, even in the church, you had people said healing was only for that time. You can't be healed. All right. When you are facing cancer, when you're facing a serious life-threatening disease, all right, you have both of these voices coming to you, all right, whether it's online, whether it's in the church, wherever, promoting their opinion and their idea. I can tell you, being there, walking through this with her, it was very difficult because then she began to doubt, am I not doing this right? I can tell you she had faith, literally, that God could heal her. We believed that God could heal her. But you know what? God truly had a plan different than ours. Doesn't mean God is any less that he isn't a healer. He's absolutely a healer. We see healings today, all right? But not in every situation. So you have this and Jesus, my healing and Jesus, instead of Jesus and healing. And it makes a big difference how you look at that, all right? We have different aspects in our church, uh, in our community, uh, in, in the church in general, not so much GFC, uh, that there's this idea of, of, of the giving to the church, all right? We've just gone through an amazing campaign. Uh, I think it was like 80% of our church were giving to the Legacy Project. And it is amazing to see what God was doing in that, all right? But you have on one side people teaching that, you know, uh, if you don't give, uh, you know, God won't bless you, uh, and all these kind of extreme things. On the other hand, all right, God doesn't require us to give. Well, again, those extremes, here's the point, all right? They work, they get the media. They get the voice because they operate in fear. Who would not want to be healed from cancer? You have a fear. Who would not want God's blessing because you have a fear? That is what drives this far hinge. But we do not have to have that fear if we are confident in Jesus. So let me kind of show you how that works, okay? All right, and all of these could apply to personal issues anyway. But do you live out of faith or fear? Followers of Jesus are committed to his cause. They put him at the center of our core beliefs. So let me show this, okay? You have the extreme opinions, all right? You have deeply held beliefs, and then you have the vast majority of us in the middle, all right? Let me add a component to that. What about we put the cross of Jesus Christ right in the middle? What if that cross is what is established, all right? Instead of our arrows, our ideas moving, all right, toward an opinion, no matter what level, okay, whether extreme or deeply held or somewhat leaning this way or somewhat leaning this way or going toward, what if we reverse those arrows? What if in our life, <clears throat> the direction we took was always toward the cross, <coughs> toward Jesus? What if that took place in our life? How would that affect us? It would be a tremendous effect. Why is this important? It is important that we understand <coughs> that we are his church. And in being his church, we represent him, his values, his kingdom, his goals, his identity, not the world's. And too often we let the world's values, opinions creep in to the church. Now, by now, some of you are pretty aggravated with me. And, and that's okay, because guess what? I believe what I'm teaching today. I will love you in spite of that. I will have respect and grace towards you in spite of that, all right? So our agendas always point opposite of Jesus. His agendas point to eternal. Jesus exalted, every knee bowing before the Lord of all lords, all right? Now, um, I can take you through scripture. It's very important, okay? This idea of unity and oneness is so critical to Jesus, if you're in your last moments of your life and you were praying to God, can you imagine what your prayer would be? What would you pray for? Your last moments of life, you would pray for the things that are most important to you. <clears throat> in Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
John chapter 17. It's not in my notes, but go there and read it. It talks about this, this internal struggle that Jesus had. But his prayer for you and I, the prayer for his disciples, is recorded in John chapter 17. Please take time this week to read that. But in essence, what he says in there is, Lord, that we might be one, like the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one. That the world may know you, Father, through your church because they are one. This is an extremely important part of Jesus knowing and praying that you today, I today, not only his disciples of yesteryear, but that we come to know that the most important prayer Jesus prayed was that we would be united and one. And there's a reason for that. It is that the world would see that we're not just a religion. We're not just a philosophical group. We're not just a bunch of radical fringe people, but that we are people who are changed and transformed because the world sees in us an ability that isn't seen anywhere to love each other, even though we have differences of opinions and thoughts. This idea is very important to Jesus. Unity is it. Unity is it. We don't teach a lot on that. We don't preach a lot. Pastor John mentions it many times throughout messages, how important unity is to our church. If you've been around church world long enough, you've seen churches split over crazy things, church split over different leaderships. I remember as a young kid, our church um, was uh, voting on putting in carpet, okay? Back then, anybody remember shag carpet? That was kind of the trend back in the late 60s, early 70s. I remember there was a vote, all right? We had a official meeting where we were voting and the vote turned into a shoving match over what color carpet, now, I don't know about you. Uh, in some ways, we can laugh at that. But someday we stand before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the name above all names. We will bow our knee. Do you think in the middle of that, Jesus gives a rip about what color carpet you put in your church? I can be serious about that and other issues. But on that day, those things really won't matter. And really, the things that we're dealing with now, on that day, will they really matter? So let me go to this third point, how you can be a selfish Christian. Uh, it's pretty easy. It's pretty natural for us. It's our sin nature. We don't really have to work at being a selfish Christian. All right. But uh, it's interesting enough in our culture today. Uh, I found some stats. Okay. There are thir 93 million selfies taken every day. You don't think we like ourselves? 93 million selfies. And they're always interesting. All right. There's always a guy pose. I would not try to do that because it would look really bad. There's always, in most cases, a girl pose. They do the pouty lip thing. You know, I don't understand that. But 93 million people want to put their picture on uh, the digital world as a selfie to let other people see. We know the ramifications of bullying online and all those things, okay, that happen. But we're a self-centered people. It is all about us, all right? Selfishness in this passage uh, is a Greek word, which sometimes is rendered as strife. It's interesting that that word is translated as strife. And here's why. It refers to factions. It refers to rivalry. It refers to partisanship. And that speaks of the pride that prompts people to push for their own way. If you're married, if you're a parent, you've experienced this kind of selfishness. Don't we all want that spouse or those kids to do certain things? 
Wouldn't we want those things to be what we experience in life? Understand that. Wouldn't we want our church to be perfect? You know, we would just, my, my church is this, my perfect church. And, you know, you could explain anyway, well, I'd like this and I'd like that. And the music this way and the music that way and the lights that way and the greeters that we could spend all day. You have your preferences. But you know what? Truthfully, listen, hear my heart. When we come together as a gathered community, the idea of unity, the idea is that we come together to exalt Jesus Christ, that this world would see our covenant, our commitment to Jesus is greater, is greater than any issue on this earth, all right? So uh, years ago, uh, I was a coach at a Christian school, and uh, my first experience was with this young guy who was just the most boastful, bravado guy there was, and he was just to the point of annoying, all right? I liked him. I liked him as a person, but he tried so hard to be cool, to be in, to be recognized, and it just made it so awkward, and he worked harder and harder just proclaiming how great it was, and it just really looked pretty sad and pretty pitiful, okay? There are so many of us that are boastful, and we're proud, all right, myself included. There are things in life that I'm, I'm proud about, and yet the Lord just keeps coming back and just peeling across that look and say, look at this pride. This doesn't honor me. This doesn't glorify me. Walk in humility, all right? What drives the boasting? Uh, I think with that team that I was talking about is that it came from this place of insecurity. It came from a place of, of personal pride. And, and we see that. We see that. I've heard so many years over Facebook and the pictures and images people send and, and how everybody, we want them to know what a great life we have, okay? Um, and, and I don't know where you stand or don't stand. That doesn't matter to me. But we want the world to know how great our life is, how great we are. <clears throat> and the problem with that is it makes us very selfish. So let me just tell you this, okay? I think you're wise enough to know how not to be selfish, but I want to give you a statement here. You displease God when you make your agenda more important than his. Whether that's your own self-promotion, whether that's your agenda, whatever it is, you displease God when you make your agenda more important than God's. Honestly, wherever you're watching this, can you really just say that on that day, the Lord of all bowing the knee is going to really, really think your agenda is that important? No, it's not. So last point, how can you be a humble Christian? Uh, my wife, Nancy, found a great quote by a uh, uh, classic Christian writer, A.W. Tozier. Many of you are familiar with him. He writes this. It's very interesting as we uh, move toward the close of this message. He says this. In every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is at the bottom of the backsliding and worldliness among gospel believers today. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. No cross for us, no dethronement, no dying. We remain king within our little kingdom of a man's soul and wear out, wear our tinsel crown with all the pride of a Caesar but we doom ourselves to mere shadows and weakness and spiritual sterility. Very powerful statement. Where are you today? Is your agenda putting you on that throne? 
Can you move to that cross and die to self, die to ideas? Knowing that the most important thing that Jesus prayed, knowing that the New Testament writers in all of their letters to the churches spoke on the importance of unity, can you get off that throne and put yourself on that cross? Romans 12, 18 says this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. There are ways to deal with this culture that we're in. There are ways. You will meet people. There may be in your family. There may be friends, coworkers, whatever, that have a vastly different thing. But at the end of the day, will they know your opinion or will they know Jesus? You get to choose that because you're going to decide to get off that throne and onto that cross. So I want to ask you this in conclusion. What impact, what impact would the church have if we were more like Jesus? If unity was the most important thing, now, I know this is a heavy message. I know that you might have just like, okay, oh, you know what? Doesn't Terry get it? Doesn't he see how difficult this world is? I absolutely do. You don't think Jesus knew what world we would be living in? But he also knew that he was always going to be the answer. So let me give you this, okay? What drives those fears on those extremes, okay? Certainly what you are consuming, whether it's media, whatever avenue of that, whether it's certain people, and they drive that fear. Can I challenge you to do one thing this week? Maybe just a few will do this, but I hope more. I want to challenge you to do this week, okay? Change the channel, for lack of a better word, all right? Instead of listening to worldly, temporal opinions, take time to walk into the Word of God and to let that be your source of influence this week. Turn off the news. Turn off your uh, feeds. Turn off all those things for just this week. All right? You don't need to know anything more about any of the world's issues. It is a terrible place, and it's still going on. It'll still be there in a week. But I want to challenge you to experience something. I want Jesus to be literally the focus of your week. And I'm going to challenge you to do that. I know we mentioned uh, last week to be praying on Tuesdays for our teachers, students, uh, and administrators, people involved in our school. I want to remind you to keep doing that. That's very important. That's where Jesus lives, is in our prayers and how we care about our communities, even if people have different opinions, all right? Pray for those, pray for those who have different views. Let me close in prayer. Father, this weekend, speaking to a camera instead of a group of people, there is still a sense that your word is true and anointed and that you desire your church, your people, those who follow Jesus, to desire unity above all. And Lord, I do know without a question that the struggle of this process will be taking place for those that take this serious. Some will ignore it. Some will hold on to their opinions. But someday we'll all stand before you. And what's important to Jesus is what will be seen as we bow our knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are worthy of our attention. I pray that everyone that would make a bold, dramatic move, would live their life with Jesus and these other issues instead of and their issues, Jesus. Help us, Lord. We pray that today in Jesus' name, amen.